welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace a need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 73 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thanks for joining me. This is one of my special bonus episodes related to managing stress and other uncertainties in the COVID pandemic. Today, I'm very lucky to have with me three physician mindfulness-based stress reduction teachers, Dr. Sarah Dill, Dr. Jesse Mahoney, and Dr. Ni Chang Liang who are all part of the Mindful Healthcare Collective group uh, teaching mindfulness techniques to physicians and other healthcare providers. And today we're talking about how to apply mindfulness to coping with COVID-related stresses. This isn't directly a weight loss topic, but as we've talked about before, if you struggle with your weight, the extra stresses related to COVID can be triggering a lot of eating and other behaviors. And mindfulness can be a really good tool to stay in the moment and have better ability to stick to your plans of healthy eating. All right, let's get to the interview. All right, welcome to the show, Sarah Ni Chang and Jesse. Uh, can I have you guys just go through one by one and introduce yourself a little bit so people can get to know you and start to recognize your voice through the interview. So Sarah, how about you start? Sure. Um, I'm Dr. Sarah Dill. I'm a practicing dermatologist and pediatric dermatologist. I'm also a qualified teacher of mindfulness-based stress reduction, and I do coaching for physicians. Hi, I'm Ni Chang Liang. I'm an adult pulmonologist uh, practicing out of Encinitas, California, and I'm a also qualified mindful space stress reduction teacher and I've been teaching it to patients and healthcare professionals over the last eight years and provide mindfulness teaching and workshop consultations for all different audiences. Hi, I'm Dr. Jesse Mahoney. I'm a pediatrician in San Francisco and I've been working in physician wellness for many, many years. And I'm also a yoga and mindfulness instructor and also a coach for physicians and parents, really coaching from a mindful perspective. Excellent. So we're talking about mindfulness and how to use it uh, in the face of COVID-related stresses today. So let's start assuming that some people listening to this episode won't have any background in mindfulness. Can one of you start with just a general overview of what mindfulness is and what that approach kind of means um, in stress reduction? Sure. Mindfulness is nothing more than moment-to-moment non-judgmental awareness. Uh, It's a way to be. Um, So people talk about mindfulness as like a tool in the toolbox, but in actuality, it can be embraced and encompassed and, and applied into all facets of life. 
This is Sarah too. I just want to add, I know we don't want to talk over each other. Um, a lot of us actually, I would say most people listening already have, right, some mindfulness. Um, it doesn't mean, I think a common mistake, and this was a misunderstanding I had, is that somehow being mindful means you should feel good, right? You should feel relaxed or you should feel like comfortable. And often, especially lately, my mindfulness practice is like, oh, I feel anxious. Oh, I feel stressed. Oh, I'm like not breathing very much, right? Or I'm feeling impatient or I'm feeling tired. It can just be whatever um, is coming up for you right now, right? What your situation is, what your surroundings are, how you're feeling in your body. Um, maybe you notice you're having um, a lot of thoughts or you can't concentrate, right? It can just be any sort of awareness of what's going on for you. But the key, as Ni Cheng mentioned, is trying to be um, non-judgmental about it. And most of us, of course, have some thoughts and judgments about how it, we should be experiencing life and not how we are. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add, this is Jesse, that I, I, I like the idea of thinking about it of just pausing and being present. And so it's just taking that moment to step back instead of letting your thoughts just happen, you step back and you notice and you become aware of what's happening. So it doesn't have to be a fancy meditation or you sitting cross-legged on a mat. You can actually be mindful wherever you are, whenever you are. And so in any particular moment, you just notice what's happening. And so it's sort of a, a practice that can pop up anywhere and you can utilize it in lots of different situations, whether it's a, um, a pa world pandemic or a hike in the woods. There are lots of different ways to employ it that, that are simple and accessible for people. So what's the, um, so mindfulness is, you know, sitting with what's actually happening in the present in yourself without judging. Can you guys just go into a little bit about why does that help compared to what our human brains would normally be doing? Why is being present and being here right now less stressful than the predictions and all the kind of forward thinking that we often will do? I can comment. This is Jesse again. I like to think of it as a way to create space. And so when we have spaciousness that allows your nervous system to just calm down. And so for me, mindfulness is about space and compassion. And the compassion is the non-judgment. So we usually, when our brain is just going on its own, we jump to conclusions and we jump to judgment. And so mindfulness, um, and I use, use it a lot in yoga, when they have you sit in the beginning of class or when at the end you're taking those breaths and you're just pausing and taking that moment, it allows your body space space to recover, space to relax, space to breathe. And all of that is really nourishing for the body and helps you recover. This is Sarah too. I'll say that there, there is some good, uh, there are some good studies out there that, that sort of prove the idea or support the idea, I should say, that a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. And so, um, the idea being that when you can be present with whatever your experience is, even if it's sort of an uncomfortable or negative experience, um, there is a certain, um, again, there's sort of a, I don't want to say that it's a happier, but generally there's more well-being, feelings of well-being and more happiness when you're sort of present with whatever you're doing. Um, that's sort of what like a flow state is often, is when you're doing something that requires so much of your 
attention that you're a hundred percent present. Um, in these times, I think too, a lot of people um, that I've talked to have noticed that their mind seems extra <laughs> restless, right? Maybe my, my focus hasn't been um, as good. It takes more effort to really concentrate. And so just being aware of that too, again, with compassion, right? Of, okay, there's a lot going on right now. It's normal that maybe my ability to focus isn't as um, good as it usually is. So if somebody's listening and they, this is new to them, but they're struggling with stress related to COVID, what would be sort of the first steps somebody at home can do to start applying some mindfulness? What are the tools that you guys would use for beginners? For beginners, I highly recommend simply noticing the sensations of their feet on the ground. Simply noticing the put sensations like against their socks or their shoes or the support of the ground beneath their feet, or even noticing the points of contact between their um, chair or the ground that they're sitting on. So grounding in their present moment experience using physical sensation as an anchor is a really helpful quick way to bring someone back to their own present moment experience now, as opposed to getting stuck into the catastrophizing cycle that many of us are, are stuck in. And so would that be then when somebody kind of starts to notice they're getting stressed out, that would, they'd use that as a cue to then think of, okay, what, what's going on with my feet? What do I feel with my feet? Yeah, absolutely. Or another um, common anchor is using the breath. So as an adult pulmonologist, um, the breath is a little bit uh, unpredictable in some of the patients that I've worked with. So some, it's, it serves as a great anchor to notice the sensation of their breath wherever they feel it the strongest, whether it be the nostrils, the back of the throat, the chest or the belly. But then for others, the breath actually might be more anxiety provoking. So I think that out of the compassion that both Sarah and Jesse spoke of, it's to find a place where focus can rest that is with ease for the person. So whether it be the breath or the sensations of the feet or even the sensations of the hands, something that they can go to, to focus on in their zone of safety. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting point because we all hear about breath and breath work and stuff. Um, but your point of, for some people, breath is not a relaxing thing. For some people, breath is anxiety provoking. If you don't feel like you're breathing enough, that's a good point. This is Jesse. I just wanted to, to bring up two thoughts around this. I almost always go to the breath for newbies in mindfulness and especially for kids and teens, because I think if you notice many, many people hold their breath and when they're anxious. And so really having them connect to taking a deep breath and it's something that's quite accessible to people. And so you can sit in the car and take a deep breath before you do something. And there's just lots of opportunities to, to notice if you're not breathing and take a deep breath. The, the construct that is challenging in the face of this virus that I just want to point out is so much of the conversation around it is how it takes your breath away. And I think that there is a trigger there for some people. And so for me, it's a good and a bad in that notice when you can take deep breaths and have gratitude for those deep breaths and notice how the breathing changes your anxiety levels and your nervous system. And also 
just realize that there is thoughts around the breath that can be triggering and all of that is part of being mindful. Again, I think as Sarah mentioned, being mindful is not all 100% good. It's noticing what triggers you and what doesn't. And I, I personally think that taking deep breaths is helpful for most people. It just depends on the setting and when. And so being clear about where you are and it, if you are in um, complete you know, space gear, as someone mentioned to me earlier today, focusing on the breath might not be the right thing to do, but when you're in your backyard or you know, outside in nature or whenever you can take those deep breaths, really use them to nourish you and notice how it feels. Yeah, that's a good point that the PPE, deep breaths in PPE is not always comfy. <laughs> not. Um, and I think what we're all pointing to and this too is notice if you, you notice you're stressed out, say you're watching TV, you're on Facebook, reading about the latest research on COVID, right? Just getting in touch with any of your senses. What can you see? What can you hear? What can you taste? right? What part of your body? And I like the feet. I agree because generally our feet are pretty neutral for most of us. They don't have a lot of tension in them, right? You can notice where are my shoulders, but that might be uncomfortable. So in this case, notice that right now, right? Where are you? Are you safe? Are you comfortable? Right? It, you might not be comfortable, but for a lot of us, we're having these sort of anxiety spells and attacks, right? And stress when we're in the middle of our house, right? We're warm, we're comfortable, we have food available to us, right? It's our mind sort of playing this, this panic game, right? We're in fear, although in the, when we actually look around us, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong right now in the moment. So I think this practice, right, is coming back to the moment to notice right now, aside from what my mind is telling me. Am I okay? Noticing the body, noticing where you are. And so what do you do when there is something wrong in the moment, right? Like, so when, when you're practicing mindfulness and um, how does it change from when in the moment everything is safe and good and nothing's happening to say for some people where in the moment they do have COVID or, you know, they are, you know, dealing with, in the moment, seeing a patient without adequate PPE available or those sorts of situations that are coming up, how should people kind of shift how they're using the mindfulness or, or do they? Is it any different? This is Jesse. I, I think that those are the moments to get in touch with your mindfulness because that's where you're using it as a tool. I think Ni Chang mentioned it, sort of a tool in the toolbox. And in those moments of stress, um, you know, through coaching, people are often looking to feel calm, right? And so it's actually a practical tool that calms down your sympathetic nervous system. And so whether you focus on the breathing or you focus on just noticing your feet, like you can change your focus from the panic and you can change your heart rate and your breathing pattern through your mindfulness and your thoughts. And so gratitude is if say you were at home <laughs> sick, and Sarah mentioned, you know, but you're still in your warm house and you still have food and you still have, so you can focus on those things that you do have or those. And so that would be a more of a form of structured mindfulness. I do worry a little bit about just the brain when you're in a high stress, anxiety provoking situation, uh, how it works. But I think even for patients, you know, um, 
we had talked about this in some of the physician wellness work that I was doing, even for docs in the ICU, you know, for patients in the ICU, mindfulness is available if you're still conscious, right? And so there are ways that you can use your brain to take yourself somewhere else and to focus on other things. And so that is a way to sort of be deliberately mindful. I also think, this is Sarah, that there is a lot of power in just acknowledging what you're experiencing. And so you might not, you, I can just say like, right now I'm scared, right, to myself and acknowledge that, right, I'm, a, I'm afraid or I'm worried or, um, right, it's, it's not all okay. And that's okay too, right, that we have this wide range of experience and it's okay to be afraid in this moment. And now what, right? Do I choose to still continue, right? I'm gonna see this patient. I'm gonna take all the precautions. They're probably afraid too, right? It's finding that, that common humanity that all of us experience. And so again, mindfulness won't automatically like fix those problem situations. But I find that for a lot of us, I mean, this is what I did for decades until I finally um, learned some other tools was that I just kept pushing the negative emotion away because I felt like it was, it was dangerous to just even acknowledge that I was stressed or burned out or afraid or anxious or angry or any of it. But when you push it away, when you try to like hold it back, that actually does give it more energy versus this practice of just acknowledging and allowing yourself to feel whatever you're feeling feeling somehow seems to, for me at least, take some of the power out of it, right? I can see patients while being afraid. That doesn't mean I have to like express it. I can just know it's there. Mm -hmm. So kind of accepting the negative, negative emotions in quotation marks that are there, but then move on with your day. So those, because some people are, when they think about negative emotions are afraid that they'll take over the day, right? If they were to actually sit with them, like your example, Sarah, where we often just push it away. But when you actually let it just be there and you don't judge it and you just are accepting of it, it's often at a level that you can just continue on with your activities. Yeah. Or I find that sometimes it dissipates more quickly, mm -hmm. right? The idea that a lot of our, right, we have thoughts and, and those can trigger different emotional states um, without resisting it. It sort of lets that neurochemical cascade complete itself. And we might have additional stimuli that sort of trigger that same response again. But I find that just letting it, I like to have an analogy that sometimes it's like a heavy backpack or like a heavy purse, right? Or like my white coat sometimes gets heavy depending on how much I have in the pockets. I can still go about my day right? And it doesn't have to interfere necessarily. But that's been my experience, at least. And I, I think that would be an invitation for someone to maybe practice right now, I'm afraid, right? Right now, I'm having a lot of anxiety. And that's okay. Siobhan, I'd love to share some acronyms that have been useful for myself and also the medical students and healthcare professionals that I've taught over the years to, in the time of high stress or anxiety, or discomfort to be able to utilize very quickly. So one of them is um, based off of Tara Brock's work um, that I developed recently myself, um, which is the mindful batting practice. So B-A-T, B is for breathe, so taking a breath. A is to attend, attend meaning attending to yourself in terms of what you need in that moment. Are you able to notice your thoughts? 
feelings, body sensations? Are you able to name those? So there's a term in psychology or a phrase in psychology, if you name it, you can tame it. And then T then stands for transition. So then are you able to transition into greater skillful response as opposed to an automatic stress-induced reaction? So the other two acronyms from Tara Brock directly are stop and let it rain. So S is for stop, literally pausing, like Jesse had mentioned. T is to take a breath. O is to observe. O for observing your thoughts, feelings, body sensations. And then P is to then proceeding with greater skillful action. Rain is recognize that the situation at hand is often times already very uncomfortable and stress provoking. A is to allow and accept it to be there because it's already there. So not resisting it like Sarah was mentioning. I is to investigate. So investigating internally similar to the O of what your own thoughts, feelings, body sensations are in that moment in time. And then N is for nurturing or not personal. So nurturing yourself, recognizing um, and becoming aware of your own needs in that moment in time and reminding yourself that perhaps this situation is gonna come up similarly in the future or has already happened similarly in the past and try not to beat yourself up about it. Try not to take it so personally and to use some self-compassion. So those acronyms have been immensely helpful um, and they don't take that long to do and they're quick um, kind of mind exercises to be able to bring someone back into the present moment. I like those. And so somebody using those would just choose the, like one of them that they yeah. want to use because they're all mm -hmm. very similar. Yeah. Uh, I like all of those. Well, I hadn't heard the bat one. I really like that one. Stop. I find I use it a lot just in seeing patients in clinic on a normal day, but I think now too, right before you enter the room or the cubicle or whatever, right? The stop, take a breath, observe, you might notice, oh, right, am I carrying my old patient with me? Am I carrying a worry about a future? Am I worried here? And then you proceed. Rain, I love as a way to really process things as well more. Stop to me is like a quick little get into the present moment um, that I find super useful in clinical practice and, and in life. I think, you know, these are really good and kind of what you were talking about, Sarah, is a really good point in that in normal life as physicians, we're often carrying things from one encounter to another. Like you're carrying thoughts about what you did the last time, you're carrying thoughts about how far behind you are in your schedule, what paperwork you might not have gotten done, what you have to get done at home, right, through the day. But now with COVID, there's probably extra layers of thoughts that we're also carrying as we go through different encounters. Um, you know, I know myself, there's thoughts about all my workflow is entirely different now <laughs> compared to what it used to be. Uh, but, you know, other people might have thoughts about worrying about um, exposure or worrying about patients, worrying about lack of patients or, you know, volume of work. And so doing these tools are probably useful at all times, but would be even more useful now to just watch all those extra layers of thoughts that we're probably carrying through our day. I like the non-personal part, too, because I, I think we as humans generally interpret other people's actions and uh, events as being personal when they're not necessarily. Um, can you guys speak a little bit more to that? The not personal part of that acronym is 
more directed towards a pattern recognition of what you're faced with. Um, and oftentimes the other person that might be causing stress or the circumstance, it's not a direct attack on you and your human moral fiber. Um, rather, it's just a circumstance that exists. Um, so what it means by not personal is to not take it so personally as like a personal attack on your character or your moral fiber or your being. Yeah, this is Jesse. And I, I like to think of it as like, if you're, if the mindfulness is just pausing and being present, you're being present with what is and what is, is just what's inside you. It's your thoughts about it, your feelings about it, how you're reacting. And so just noticing that otherwise your brain is deciding what all this means and and deciding what someone else is doing means. And so being mindful is just dropping that and just noticing what's inside, right? And so that's where it's a very much an internally focused type of thing. And the other thing about not taking it personally, which just popped into my mind as you said it, is many of us take our own ability to be mindful personally and judge ourselves about how we're doing it and if we're doing it right. and. Um, you know, I want to make sure I'm practicing meditating correctly. And one of the beautiful things about mindfulness is we say you can't do it wrong. Like it's just a practice. You just try. Um, it's not even just try. You just do it right. You just sit there and you see what's in your head. And so whatever's in your head is fine. Uh, and that gets back to Sarah's point. It can be negative or positive, whatever it is, it's fine. And you just accept what is. And that's the key thing about mindfulness without judging yourself and without looking outside yourself to see what's causing it. It's just what's internal. And the last thing I like about the non-personal, I sort of think about the non-identification too, is a way to, that helped me be more compassionate is knowing like there's nothing that's gone wrong with the fact that my brain is going to the future and going to the past and it's looking for problems and it's anxious and it's worried, right? And it's pointing out all the dangers around me. Like that's what we're wired to do. And the, the mind is designed to wander too, right? I mean, that's the practice in meditation even is like you focus on something and then you notice when your brain has wandered off and you bring it back non-judgmentally, right? You just start over again. And that's the, um, like, of course it's happening. Of course I'm right worried right now. Of course this is coming up. Nothing's gone wrong. I'm a human, right? All of this is normal and, and, and now, right, bringing attention to it and awareness just gives you a little bit more, um, I don't want to say authority, but ability to work with it, right, and not be um, at the at the mercy of it, right? Awareness and mindfulness just gives you more power to decide how you want to proceed. I like uh, Jesse's point about the non-judgmental because I've 100% judged myself for not being non-judgmental <laughs> in mindfulness. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm not being you know, not doing it enough and then judge yourself for the judging yourself of not doing it enough. So yeah, it's a good point of you just, all you have to do is try with it. There's no perfect way. What about it? So I think it'd be worthwhile to touch base on some of the evidence. And I, I don't mean like quote specific studies necessarily, but because mindfulness it does have a decent body of evidence behind it. Um, are you guys able to speak to what things mindfulness has been shown to help with in um, research? 
I, this is Sarah. I can speak to some of it. I mean, it's interesting. There are certainly a lot of research and then the research keeps getting better and better, right? So now they're actually looking mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is what I'm sort of trained in and Mi Chang is trained in. It has the benefit of being a very standardized way of um, training in it. And so it makes it a little bit easier to do research in it. That being said, I think there's many different schools of mindfulness, and I think they all have a lot of validity. But of course, as scientists, we know that when you're doing research, you want to try to make things as uniform as possible. And so more recently, they've even started trying to do more um, controlled studies where they have a control group, right, that also meets maybe and gets some of the support to try to make the studies better. But my understanding of uh, where the science is now is that it certainly seems to improve emotional self-regulation, which can also lead to reductions in hypertension, in um, sort of elevated cortisol states, right? If you think about sort of switching the ability to switch from sympathetic to parasympathetic, reducing some of the um, elevated, the results of that, right? So atherosclerosis, hypertension, um, anxiety, um, and sort of by default then also uh, sort of unhealthy ways of coping with stress. So I think reducing the need for um, maybe self-medicating with um, alcohol or food or overeating, whatever that might be, illicit, you know, or other drug use um, as well. This is Jesse, and I know that there is a body of research. I don't know how high quality it is around yoga and health benefits. And a lot of that comes from the mindfulness and the relaxation techniques. A lot of it in chronic disease is where the research has been. I think it's broadening into a lot of other areas. And I think there's a lot of work being done at least prior to this COVID stuff. I'm not sure what's happening now around the impact of mindfulness on a lot of disease states. And so I think we will have more research. I don't know all of the studies except to say that, um, you know, I've looked through a lot of them. There's a whole book called Yoga as Medicine that lists, has a whole, you know, bibliography that has hundreds of studies. But again, I think the quality of the studies is not as high as it might be. I understand that in other countries, they've been doing research on this a lot longer and there may be a lot more studies um, available. So mindfulness has over 9,000 published articles um, in that you can research up online via PubMed. And from a pulmonologist perspective, mindfulness has been shown to improve the quality of life with patients who have asthma. And it was also recommended as a modality as part of the global obstructive lung disease guidelines. So like the world's recommendations on COPD basically have included mindfulness as part of one of the standards of care to help improve quality of life, to improve self-management and self-efficacy. Um, and then from the physician wellness literature, the seminal article that showed decreases in burnout characteristics was done in 2009 by Mick Krasner and Ron Epstein from University of Rochester, where they had primary care physicians undergo a CME program called Mindful Communication which used to be freely available online. Um, and basically what it showed was that the characteristics of burnout decreased even a year and more after follow-up. So that was the seminal article. And then since then there's been burgeoning amounts of literature on mindfulness in the prevention and the treatment of burnout for healthcare professionals, 
across all different levels of training. Nice. Yeah, it's interesting. One question that uh, has come up uh, before is just the difference between mindfulness and meditation. And like, where do they overlap and where are they different? Nichang, do you want to speak to that? So meditation is a type of practice or a type of exercise and mindfulness meditation. So the word mindfulness in that context is used as an adjective to describe the type of meditation um, because there are many, many, many different forms of, of, my, of meditation. Um, but mindfulness, the meaning of that really is based in present moment, non-judgmental awareness. Um, so mindfulness is a um, characteristic for the description of mindfulness meditation, but it's also more of a state of being. And meditation is more of a, a practice. And many of the different meditation schools, not just with mindfulness meditation, embody aspects of mindfulness too. Um, so hopefully that helps with delineating the two. It's like meditation is essentially an action that you take, but mindfulness is kind of a process that you embrace throughout the day, including some meditation. Yeah. Any other tools that uh, you would suggest beginners try or um, do they need to do mindfulness, mindfulness meditation for, to benefit from mindfulness? Or can it just be things like the grounding with the breath and grounding with the feet or other uh, experiences in the day? This is Jesse. And for me, I think you can incorporate mindfulness um, in lots of ways. And I don't, um, as much as I do yoga, I am just going to full disclosure, tell you I'm not a good meditator. I'm unable to just sit and meditate by myself. So I can do it if the, um, you know, I'm listening to a, an app or headspace, I can follow along. I can do it in yoga when the teacher is leading it or when I'm leading it. <laughs> But if there isn't that structure to it, I really have a hard time with it. But how I find it very easy to be mindful is for instance, in nature. And so being in nature and noticing the smells, noticing you know, a beautiful flower and just studying it and noticing it, noticing the rain, think ways like that are really helpful to focus your mind and focus your attention because that's really what mindfulness is. So in some place, or if you're, in a family engagement and you're noticing lots of um, my kids were playing cards last night and I just was sat and just noticed the card game and the interaction and the and it it brought up you know a lot of different feelings and I think that's just part of being mindful whereas often you just let it go past and so it's just pausing wherever you are and noticing and that can be in the room with a patient it can be in a room with all kinds of ppe on it can be anywhere it can be lying in your bed noticing that you're anxious so it's really the process of paying attention and if you can find beautiful calming things that really help you to do that mindful eating is another thing i love mindfully eating delicious food and mindfully eating dessert is one of my favorite things you know um and so you really do can change your experience of something by just being mindful. So it's definitely something you can throw in to any part of your day. This is Nihang. I wanted to also differentiate between informal practice and formal practice for mindfulness meditation. So informal practice are all of the things that we've been talking about, about how to incorporate mindful moments 
these mindful pauses into our day to day. In terms of mindfulness practice for in the formal setting, that is using um, the more validated instruments from, for instance, mindfulness-based stress reduction, uh, the body scan being a classical mindful-based stress reduction type of meditation, the awareness of breath that many people are familiar with, where you are usually sitting and you're focused on your breath. And then there's mindful walking and mindful movement as the kind of classical examples. And of course, incorporating the mindful eating as part of all of that as well. Um, so I, I will say that the benefits of formal mindfulness practice are greater than those of informal practice, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do any informal practice. Like if you can't do formal mindfulness practice, then absolutely incorporate informal practice into your day-to-day. -day. That's a really good description to kind of separate the two of them. I think that's helpful. And I will say too, I mean, I, I like, of course I like meditative practices, um, but they aren't for everyone, right? There are some people who, um, are, are not going to be meditators. They don't enjoy it. They don't have a lot of the benefit, um, right? It's not something that I'm saying every, I don't think any of us would say everyone should do it, right? You'll be, you'll be better and happier and everything. But I think that there are a lot of resources out there and it is something you could, you could try. Um, but again, as Jesse was saying, um, Andy Chang, there are so many informal practices and I, I'm guessing a lot of us like to spend time in nature because it, it's sort of instinctive almost, right? When you're outside, um, you just notice your senses more and you're more present in your experience. It's like you aren't missing out on whatever's going on. And that's really, I think, the benefit. A lot of us do formal practice because then when we're in a situation like now, we have a little bit more training to fall back on so that it's a little bit easier sometimes, certainly not all the time at all, to like notice when I'm in my head and get out of it a little bit because that's what that practice is all about. Noticing when my mind is taken over and then coming back to the present moment. So it's sort of like going to the gym in anticipation of running a race. A lot of us now are running a race and we haven't been to the gym. With mindfulness meditation, we're trying to rewire our brains for the better. So Sarah mentioned that our brains are hardwired for noticing danger and um, that's how we survived as human beings. But in the 21st century, we don't really have animal predators anymore per se. And yet human beings still experience stress in much the same way as if a animal predator was trying to attack us, even if that's not the case. So with mindfulness meditation, it's a rewiring of the brain so that we can increase positive attention bias as opposed to always falling back on negative attention bias, which might not serve, and especially now. Um, so just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I like the concept of like, you know, each time you do the meditation, essentially you're investing in kind of creating, you know, a better brain or a different brain, a brain that handles things in a different way. Yeah, in a more skillful way so that you can learn to choose responses and develop a healthier relationship with stress. Um, any other last tips that you want to share for many of you? 
Uh, Jesse and Sarah are both part of the Mindful Healthcare Collective. Um, we have a website up full of free meditation resources for healthcare professionals. Um, there are live Zoom sessions being offered one to two times a week, led by Sarah, Jesse, uh, myself, and other women physicians who are experts in physician wellness, um, along with other links to free meditation resources. For healthcare professionals, 10% Happier and Headspace are offering free subscriptions currently. Um, and you can check out all those links and the dates and times for the upcoming Zoom live sessions on www.mindfulhealthcarecollective.com. Excellent, that sounds great. Where else can people find each of you if they want to learn more about you? Sarah, do you wanna go first? Sure. I have, um, well, as Cheng said, I am part of the Mindful um, Healthcare Collective. I have my own website, though, as well. Um, it's www.saradill, so S-A-R-A-D-I-L-L, no H, dot com. Um, and I do, I'm actually doing some free physician-only COVID coaching calls for the next month. And then I work with physicians one-on-one -on, -one on a lot of it on work-life balance and workplace stress, um, but really on, um, on so many things that come up for physicians. Jesse? So I can be found, I have a website that's also under my name, which is www.jesse.com. MahoneyMD.com and it's Jesse with an IE, so J E S S I E. And um, I'm also part of the Mindful Healthcare Collective, and we've been doing some sessions on mindful parenting if people are particularly interested, because I know that's a thing that's come up for a lot of physician parents as they're homeschooling and doctoring and dealing with kids' reactions to all of this, that that's more of a an issue. And I do a lot of physician coaching and parent coaching. I mostly do one-on-one -on -one sessions. And so you can find out more about doing those and learning more about incorporating mindfulness into your life and your thoughts and your parenting um, on that website as well. And Cheng, do you have any other contact information or is your main contact through the Mindful Healthcare Collective? You can get onto my private website through Mindful Healthcare Collective on there too, but um, my own private website is www.nclangmd.com and there are free recorded mindfulness practices on there as well, including one for mindful eating. Excellent. Well, thank you for each of you for taking the time today to talk about this. I think this episode will be quite helpful for people to just start putting some pieces of mindfulness into their practice, which I think can help any of us as we go through this uh, pandemic. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. So there you have it. Lots of great tips. If you're brand new to mindfulness that you could turn around and apply to your day to day and start to see a difference in your stress levels. I've done mindfulness and I've taken courses on it. I'm not a, a certified teacher of mindfulness, but I've seen the benefit that it can have in your life when you just remember to be present. And we talked a little bit about this in the last bonus episode, the bonus episode about catastrophizing. And it's very similar in that if we're present in the moment, it makes a difference to our overall stress level versus what we often do as just habit is try to predict the future. And that's actually very stressful because we can't predict it. And we have very good imaginations so that can come up with all different options. So give these tips a try. 
try these tools out. Check out the infohealthcarecollective.com. Send me your thoughts to info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. Remember to share this episode with anybody that you think might benefit from it, anybody who's struggling with COVID-related stresses, and have a fantastic week. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. <music>